1: It's the Bill Press Pod back with you for another lively conversation with an astute observer of the American political scene. Thank you for joining us. Indeed, it's hard to fathom what's happening in American politics today. We have an aggressive new president, but the old guy refuses to leave the scene. The majority of Americans support action on climate change, gun safety and protecting voting rights, but Congress refuses to act it's not just one party versus the other either. Republicans are split between those who still worship Donald Trump and those who want to move away from him. And Democrats are split between progressives who want to go for broke and pragmatists who want to settle for whatever they can work out with Republicans. How did we get into this mess and how do we get out of it? Nobody has a better handle on today's political scene than today's guest, Larry Sabato, a longtime friend, professor of politics, and founder and director of the world-renowned Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. Larry Sabato, good to have you back on the Bill Press Pod. Welcome. It's
0: delightful to be back with you, Bill. So, Larry, I want to
1: ask you, last Thursday... There's a lot going on on Capitol Hill. I mean, they're trying to get an infrastructure bill passed, voting rights passed. They got the January 6th select committee. They got the big budget proposal. And uh, Kevin McCarthy, Republican leader, takes the day off on Thursday to go to Bedminster, New Jersey, and sit down with former President Donald Trump. What does that tell you about the state of the GOP today?
0: It's still Trump's party. I don't know why anybody ever expected it to change. You know, there are various people, various uh, factorums in the Republican Party who pop up on CNN and elsewhere telling us that uh, Trump's uh, influence is shrinking in the Republican Party. Where? Where is that? I'm looking, you know, I'm perfectly happy to see it happen, but it isn't happening. And what he was really doing was going to see pardon me, the crime boss, you know, when the boss calls, you go, Uh, you know, if you, you fear for your life otherwise. So he went and he went through his agenda and Trump said yes and no, and yes and no. And I'll bet you any amount of money. He ran through the possibilities for the select committee on January 6th, the insurrection. And Trump said, yes, no, yes, no. And he's going to get a committee on the Republican side of his liking. In other words, the crime boss was picking half the jury.
1: Yeah. Well, and clearly there was an agenda beyond just this January 6th committee. Uh, wouldn't you agree that Kevin McCarthy sees that his path to taking back the House and maybe becoming Speaker in 2022 is loyalty to Donald Trump?
0: Yes. And of course, there's there's a little proviso there. Let's suppose the Republicans do take back the House, and of course Kevin McCarthy is in line to become Speaker. Suppose Donald Trump, as he is wont to do, turns on him for some reason. Uh, sometimes he turns on people just for the fun of it. Uh, I don't think Kevin McCarthy will be Speaker. Do you?
1: No, I don't. for For a couple of reasons. That that that's one of them, and two. You know, there are a lot of people out with sharp knives out for Kevin McCarthy in the Republican Caucus still, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And beyond the Republican Caucus, he's going to get, if he does become Speaker, he's going to have one of the most difficult speakerships in American history, because outside of that narrow band of Trump people in the caucus and outside the caucus, uh, he is seen as public enemy number two or three, but he's on the list.
1: So back to 2022 if if the Republicans looking at 2022 are really making their case uh, all about 2020 stolen election illegitimate president is that enough for them to win not just uh for house seats, senate seats, gubernatorial seats that seems to be their sole platform.
0: Well in the house of course is mainly about redistricting and reapportionment. Right. Uh, if you look at how that's being handled and how many big states they control, even though they they don't win the statewide vote, they don't have to because they got in the last redistricting what they wanted and probably the, init- the uh, momentum will carry them forward for the next 10 years. But they control the redrawing of the district. So between redistricting and reapportionment, Right there, they'll probably be able to take over the House. It would be a miracle if Democrats retained it with this kind of minor margin coming up in the midterm of a Democratic presidency. No matter how successful the presidency is, uh, the incumbent president almost always, not always, but almost always, loses seats in the midterm. So uh, is that their only platform? Well, it seems to be so far, and it's enough to stir the Trump people, they'll, they'll follow anything that Trump says, and as long as he stays on board and encourages them to show up and vote, they probably will.
1: But is it enough to also alienate the suburban voters that turned away from Republicans and
0: Trump in 2020? Well, it might be, but that's where turnout comes in. Uh-huh. You have to get people stirred up to vote in a midterm, and frankly, Republicans almost always turn out, and Democrats frequently—and you know this from your oh. time in the party—frequently <laughs> they are uh, they are fair weather friends, and it, it takes an enormous amount of time and energy to convince Democrats that it's just as important to turn out in midterms or off year elections. Off-off year elections like this one, uh, as it is to turn out in presidential. So that's the challenge, Bill. And sometimes the party manages to do it, but most of the time it doesn't.
1: Right. Uh, they certainly didn't do it in Obama's midterms. Right.
0: Um, exactly. There you yeah. go. If anybody was going to excite the the base, it would have been Obama. He did excite the base, but he didn't excite them enough to. Cause them to take an hour off on, on election day. Now, that's the change. We do have better laws that are being revoked in Republican states, but that still exist in Democratic states. So it's possible that the widespread use of mail balloting, which people liked in 2020, yep. they liked it. It was convenient. Uh, not just the pandemic. They liked the convenience of it. That may get the Democratic vote out sufficient to uh, if not hold the house, then make sure that Republicans don't get a massive majority.
1: So, if the Republicans are running on, uh, we got the election was stolen in twenty twenty. Donald Trump's still our guy. Uh, this is in twenty twenty two. If they're running on that, what do Democrats run on? It looks to me like right now they're, they they want to run on, you know, we got. Shit done. If I can be blunt, right? We got the stimulus. We got the infrastructure. We got this three hundred dollar check for every kid in America. Uh, we got COVID behind us. Uh, there was a time, Larry, when accomplishments, right, getting stuff done, was a winning message. Is
0: it still? Well, it can be, and they're they're going to have to use that because it is their best argument, and it happens to be true. <laughs> that that always helped. Uh at least with, with, with the democratic side of the electorate, it helps. You know, I don't think truth matters that much anymore on the on the Trump side. Uh, but yeah, that's the argument that Biden has in a sense, or in more than one sense, rescued us from the disasters of the Trump years and the projected disasters of a second term of Trump. That's a positive message. but you also have to add the negative part, which is, If you let the Republicans get back in, they'll reverse every one of these changes at the Mm -hmm. first opportunity. Well, of course, Biden has the veto power, but it's a good argument because sometimes these massive bills get out of Congress and a president has to give thumbs up or thumbs down, even if he doesn't like a lot of the provisions in there. Uh, So it really is true. And you can give a positive and negative message that may be enough.
1: So if I read you correctly, you're saying that uh, for the midterms, it's not inevitable that Republicans take back the House and the Senate, but likely,
0: especially for the House. Uh-huh. But it is not inevitable. But I would say they clearly have the lead at this point for lots of institutional reasons. The Senate, as always, is squirrely. It's so idiosyncratic and. You look at individual states and their races, and you can actually see a path for Democrats to gain seats. I'd have to say that the path for Republicans to gain seats is a little bit clearer right now, but it's not so clear that they're guaranteed uh, to, to gain the Senate as well. So the House is tough. The Senate won't be easy, but if, if some chips fall the right way, they might be able to hold on to the fifty-fifty, or even get a fifty-one forty-nine.
1: So, with the crystal ball, have you uh, pre- made a prediction yet on either house, or are you just waiting well, to we, see?
0: You can't. How can you make a prediction when we don't even know what the districts are?
1: That's right. <laughs> we Good haven't point.
0: had redistricting now Nor- on the Senate. We we've got it uh, essentially tied. We've got Democrats at fifty, Republicans at forty-nine, with one toss-up. You know which which one it is: Pennsylvania. Which has become one of the four or five most competitive states for everything Mm -hmm. in the country. So, and that's an open seat with Senator Toomey retiring. Right. Uh,
1: How do you politically now? uh, How do you think Joe Biden is handling his the position uh, his new position as president of the United States?
0: Well, you know, all the time I, I hear people say. Uh, what's happening? What is he doing exactly? They, they don't know the details because they're not paying close attention. And that, in this case, is actually a good thing. Everybody was exhausted. the four right. Trump years, you had to check in 10 times a day to see what crazy thing the guy had done lately. Tell me about uh, it. <laughs> and, and Biden is, is so, he's predictable, he's normal. People say he's boring. I'll take boring. Boy, I've learned to value boring. Uh, so, I think that's. I think he's done well. Uh, I think he has accomplished more than people thought he was going to accomplish. And look at the thin margins in both the House and the Senate. And mm-hmm. Democrats are famous for infighting. It's right. amazing <laughs> that that with six months in, they've actually more or less stayed together. You know, yes, the mansion problem and so on, but by and large, they're united. Here's here's my my beef with him. He is too reliant on his experience in the Senate that no longer exists. He was there for so many decades. He's convinced that he has the ability to bring Democrats and Republicans together. And back in that era, he did do that. Yep. And when he was elected, Delaware was very competitive. He had to appeal to some Republicans. So he was very good at, uh, at going right down the middle and getting people from both sides. That era is over. You can't find more than a tiny number of Republicans who are even targets for uh, your bills to vote for your bills. So he hasn't fully adjusted to that, and he's he's playing that bipartisan game in an era where it doesn't exist.
1: And it, I, I'm curious as to your take on uh, Biden's impact on the party, too, because you know, let's take the uh, I mean the 2020 primary, right? there was all the noise was on the progressive side there for a long time right I mean Bernie was going to win Bernie's going to be the nominee and moderate Joe Biden won same thing in New York all the noise was with the progressives you know that there was going to be the most progressive mayor ever in the history of the country and Eric Adams won again another moderate Democrat is this where the Democratic Party is going or are they just sort of saying we got to be in the middle and pragmatic to win?
0: Well that's what they're saying right now we'll see <laughs> yeah <laughs> they- they tend to forget quickly. But, you know, really, Bill, you put your finger on something because this is also a Trump effect that's not really discussed very much. It yeah. it chilled the Democratic Party.
1: Interesting. They
0: remembered yeah. in, in 2016, uh, and this is not to lay it all on Bernie by any means, but there were a lot of Berniecrats who never came around to Hillary Clinton. And we got Donald Trump. And it, it reminded everybody of just how bad it can get. And and so Democrats are enjoying being in charge. They're enjoying winning. But most of all, they're enjoying not having Donald Trump in office. He's still in our consciousness every single day, but he's not in office. He doesn't have the power to do the things that he wants to do. So I think it has moderated Democrats in some ways.
1: Uh, I'm sure you are watching, as I am, this uh, a congressional race in Ohio where Nina Turner big supporter of Bernie's friend of mine uh, who uh, led the Bernie's uh, our, our revolution after the 2016 campaign is running for Congress with Bernie's support. Uh, and she's opposed by a Chantelle Brown with James Clyburn's support. <laughs> yeah. uh, th- that's a real
0: test again, right? Of the- well, it is a test, although in the end, does it matter very much? I mean, it's one congressional district. It's a guaranteed democratic district. Uh, The the winner of that district is going to vote with the other Democrats, especially because she'll be the most junior member of the House, uh, and they generally don't make waves unless their name is AOC. Um, So, you know, yes, it's a test, and yet it isn't. uh, Look at how Bernie has been treated by Biden. He's been treated very well, and Bernie respects Biden, and he likes the way he's been treated that is where Biden's personal skills really are making a difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and it also shows that pragmatic side of Bernie Sanders, which uh, I know, but most people have not seen and don't know. Yeah,
0: right? oh, absolutely. Look, he was the first to say, you know, he wanted five to six trillion when it was 3.5 trillion. He said, this is terrific. Yeah, <laughs> okay, right. well, that, that's the way it's supposed to be in Congress. You have to make compromises and, and you should celebrate what you get not whine about what you didn't get well there he is and he's yeah. the signal to all the other progressives to do the same thing sometimes
1: it's important to take yes for an answer right uh,
0: absolutely <laughs> and the old whine too about when somebody tells you who they are believe him
1: <laughs> larry sabato our guest he's director of the center for politics at the university of virginia we're gonna take a quick break come back with larry and talk about some of the other big picture issues here in american politics And today's podcast with Larry Sabato from the Center for Politics, University of Virginia, is brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the members of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They've been on the front lines all through the pandemic, continuing to serve us in their many roles, uh, servicing and taking care of us in our big Retail shops like Macy's and Nordstrom's and our great ro- grocery chains like Safeway and Stop and Shop and our meat and poultry plants, chemical and cannabis plants. We salute the members of the UFCW, thank them for their good work and thank them especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod.
0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free?
1: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with Larry Sabato. He's director of the uh, great Center for Politics down at the University of Virginia. Larry, you and I have talked politics a long time. You've been around it longer, as long as I have. Uh, have you ever seen American politics so broken?
0: No, I'm really concerned about it. I, I never thought we would approach the divisions of the late 60s and early 70s. I thought that would be the high point or the low point of division. Well, we've, we've gone way past that. Uh, I don't want to suggest that violence is in our future, but I don't think anybody would be surprised if it, if it turned out that way. Uh, it's not just January 6th. I always remind people I saw it earlier than most people right in front of my my house on UVA's lawn with the neo-Nazis marching by. And some of those same people, by the way, were in the January 6th insurrection Mm -hmm. or coup d'etat. It was a coup d'etat, the first one we've had since Lincoln's assassination, which was designed to decapitate uh, the, the government, killing the vice president, the secretary of state, as well as the president. They didn't succeed with the other two, but uh, look, this has is, this is got to concern everybody. Uh, people talk about polarization as though it's just an academic concept. But polarization at its extremes encourages violence because uh, everything is black and white. Everything is black and white. There can be no compromise. Uh, everything matters tremendously. And we're, we're at that point virtually. Uh, uh, January 6th set the precedent the next time we have an uh, unstable president, let's just put it that way, I wonder whether we'll we'll uh, see the regular transfer of power. A, hmm. a terrible precedent has been set. And once you set a precedent like that, you can't control the future.
1: Do you think our democracy itself is in peril?
0: I do indeed. I do indeed. I think people are less inco- inclined to believe the obvious facts, they're uh, willing, at least half of the people, are, or close to half of the people, are willing to believe outright falsehoods if uttered by people they support, thinking Donald Trump, but also people beyond Donald Trump. There are loads of, of Trumps and Trumpettes in Congress and in other positions. You know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens. she's not alone. There are a bunch of Marjorie Taylor Greens. They're all yeah. around. They're scattered around the country in office. Mm -hmm. So so the the seeds have been planted for a lot of trouble, more trouble and probably violence.
1: And I, I know you've written about this, but looking at American politics, the polling, the polls were so bad in 2016. We thought we could count on them because of some changes in 2020. That turned out not to be true either. What what's the state of polling today and what what needs to happen?
0: Well, it's a mess. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> to say the least, right? Yeah. And
0: I, like you, I thought there was a very good chance uh, that we could fix the problems in the system after 2016. And indeed, some problems were fixed. It just turned out there were additional problems <laughs> and, and the analysis of 2016 had been off. It wasn't simply that a certain category of uh, blue collars or you know non-college whites weren't participating in polls. It was much more extensive than that. Uh, For example, we saw a clear trend among a surprisingly large percentage of Latinos to Trump and the Republicans. Mm -hmm. That wasn't picked up really anywhere, any of the major polls. Nobody picked that up. Uh, We thought that, that Biden would get the same percentage, maybe even a little bit better than Hillary Clinton had gotten. Not true. Trump went up eight points, which is a lot of points among a large minority group.
1: So uh, is it to to redesign these polls or just not count on them?
0: Uh... Well, you don't. I, I think we've all learned to look at them and study them and be interested in them, but also be willing to discount them, which, frankly, we did at the Center for Politics. We got 49 of the 50 states right. And we only got 49 out of 50 right because we ignored polling in a lot of places, like Florida, like Texas, like Georgia. There were other places where the polls were simply off. And it just contradicted everything we knew about the way things were going, the way we sensed things were going. So, you know, uh, Bill, we're going to have to return to judgment. (laughs) That's scary. (laughs) We're going to have to get political professionals exercising judgment. You mentioned the Latino vote. Uh, how do you
1: see the demographics of this country, political demographics, changing, particularly, and which party does it benefit?
0: Generally speaking, the Democrats still benefit because uh, you still get over sixty percent of Latinos voting Democratic, and we all we all know the Cuban Americans are an exception. But look, Mexican Americans started defecting too. Other subgroups of Latinos started moving more Republican, so. These things change over time, and you have, to, you have to really watch them. But on the other hand, Asian Americans, uh, who used to be the most receptive to the Republican message of any minority group, mm-hmm. have moved solidly in the Democratic direction. They now outvote Latinos in terms of the percentage for, uh, for uh, Democrats. So every piece of the electorate uh, is not uh, stable, is not, is not in concrete. Every election is different. The candidates are different. The issues are different. And you have to treat the voters uh, as adults who can reevaluate their old positions.
1: But we see, for example, Arizona, right, uh, moving at least into the purple column, not maybe not quite the blue, uh, which certainly surprised the hell out of me. Um, Could Texas follow that same path?
0: Well, eventually. How many election cycles, Bill, have we heard (laughs) that Texas is going to turn blue? So, you know, I was very skeptical in 2020 with good reason. uh, And I don't think it's anytime soon. Eventually, it will be competitive. What's eventually? I'm not sure we'll be around. Uh, Because we're retired on a desert island, not because of anything else. But uh, I'm just not sure when that's going to happen. It is fascinating that Georgia and Arizona turned more quickly than Texas or North Carolina, which has been proposed for decades as as a logical Mm -hmm. blue state. Well, it's still not blue.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, and now Georgia and Virginia, uh, as you point out. I know it's really too early to talk about 2024, but I do have to ask you: this. Do you think Donald Trump is going to run, or is this just uh, is this he pulling our leg?
0: I think that we'll have at least a half a dozen proto announcements by Donald Trump. <laughs> now, is it, and then, and then he'll pull back. But you know, he's, he's the one thing he's good at is political calculations. I don't think people understood that before 2016, but his calculation is correct. He needs to keep all of his real and potential opponents off balance. And you do that by hinting you're running and then maybe pulling back and hinting you're running and then pulling back because they really don't know what to do. They don't want to, to go all out for the nomination because then they know Trump will target them. You don't challenge him and expect him to forget it. Uh, at the same time, they can't prepare. <laughs> they, can't, they can't get ready to run and win a nomination. So right. once again, Trump is going to screw them up. And, right. and really, it's richly deserved.
1: <laughs> and if it's not, as you point out, uh, those who who might want to run, right, really can't uh, certainly put a campaign together without uh, alienating him. But if it's not Trump, is it really Ron DeSantis?
0: No. Look, we'll have loads of people who will pop up into, if not the front runner's position, then the number two and three position behind Trump. Uh, I don't know that one of them will be Mike Pence, who <laughs> at one point was considered to be the logical yeah, successor, right. as most vice presidents are, but how does he come back? I mean, he's not an exciting politician, uh, and he's lost uh, Trump, and Trump is never going to back him again. because he looks at Pence and says we could have been in our second term except for you. So, you know, forget about it, buddy. Uh, So I I don't know. You know, you've got loads of people. Chris Christie wants to and He's never going to get the nomination and go through the 2016 candidates. There are a bunch of them who want to run again. There are a bunch of uh, Republicans who've been elected since who want to run again. So or, or run for the first time. Hawley who thinks he's one of the great heroes of January 6th, Josh Hawley, a senator from Missouri, and uh, Tom Cotton, another far-right-wing senator from uh, Arkansas. These people want to run, and they probably will.
1: Does Joe Biden run?
0: Boy, if his health is good, I think he will. Think of it this way. He has spent his entire adult life, really, either thinking about running for president or running. He was elected to the Senate at twenty nine. I think it took him twenty four hours before he started thinking about winning. Run for president, uh, if you and he ran three times. Okay, yeah. now if you spend your whole life with one giant goal and then you get the prize, do you voluntarily give it up? Hell no, right? Of course, of course not. So health is the only, and we wish him good health. We wish everybody good health, but I think health is the only thing that could could turn him off to running. Or if for some reason, God forbid, events took control and it looked mm-hmm. like a hopeless re-election race, I think he'd also step aside. But those are eventualities that, that have no proof at this point.
1: Uh, so fi- finally, Larry, and you've been very generous with your time, you made little news yourself a week or so ago <laughs> <laughs> where the uh, I-, I was appalled to read that the head of the Virginia Republican Party Send a letter to the president of the University of Virginia demanding an ethics investigation (laughs) into Larry Sabato because you had dared uh, put out a couple of critical tweets about former President Donald Trump. (laughs) What would you think is
0: shocking that a a politics professor who's been around politics since (laughs) the age of seven would actually have opinions and would explain? Would express them on uh, social media like Twitter and Facebook and so on. Uh, look, it it was uh, they're clownish. The, the whole group of them, they're clownish. They've lost every single election for a decade, and in Virginia we have elections every year. They had plenty of chances to win. They just <laughs> haven't won anything. So uh, you know, if you want to have a bunch of enemies, you'd pick them. No question <laughs> about it, because you you can beat them. But it wasn't it wasn't about me. This is this is happening all over the country just as Republicans are screaming about cancel culture, they're practicing cancel culture uh, because they want to shut up people who don't agree with them. It's, it's completely hypocritical, but they know their base applauds every time They they don't The base doesn't recognize hypocrisy. And this is another classic example.
1: Uh, Not to mention that uh, I thought that the, the university was a place for the free exchange of ideas, right? Isn't that well?
0: You're very, you're very old-fashioned. Though. I guess so. You right? know, you have to, you have to get up with the current trends. And clearly, are not. Yeah,
1: uh, I haven't embraced cancel culture yet. I guess that's a yes. problem. Well, and, right.
0: and also, who's who's the snowflakes? Who's the snowflakes? A few tweets from me, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get them all in a dander? You know, I thought the liberals were the snowflakes. No, it turns out the conservatives are the snowflakes. Well, one
1: thing for sure, Larry, I know they're not going to shut you up, and uh, I don't want them to. And we can count on you uh, to keep speaking out and and count on you to, uh, you know, just spread the wisdom about the American political system today. That's why we turn to you so often. Thank you, my friend, for joining us today on the Bill Press Pod.
0: It's always fun, uh, Bill, and uh, wish you good luck and good health.
1: All right. Great. Thanks, Larry. Talk to you again soon. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with Larry Sabato, University of Virginia, the Center for Politics. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with our roundtable on Friday. Meantime, take care of yourself. Be careful. We're still not out of the woods yet. Wear that mask if it makes you more comfortable. Still practice your social distancing. Be strong. Be safe. Be safe and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.